leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Trexon has been at the forefront of efforts to harness biotechnology to address significant issues in health, energy, food, and environmental sustainability. The company is applying synthetic biology to a wide range of applications from halting the spread of mosquito-borne disease to preventing apples from browning. We spoke to Tom Schrader, Vice President of Communications and Strategy for Trexon, about the company's use of acquisitions and collaborations, the challenge the industry has faced in scaling production to commercial scale, and why synthetic biology will have implications for industries not traditionally thought of as using biotechnology. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. Glad to be here. We're going to talk about synthetic biology and Trexon and the various markets it's working in, but let's start with synthetic biology itself. What is synthetic biology to listeners who may not be familiar with it? So, you know, it's a good question, and it is a relatively new term, so it probably still means different things to different people. Uh, I think a way to think about it operationally is kind of rerouted biology. So it's not totally synthetic. You generally start from a cell and rely on a huge fraction of the cell to continue to function, but then you'll just, you'll change it in some subtle, subtle, but hopefully very meaningful and powerful way. So for example, a therapeutic at some level is synthetic biology because it causes a damaged cell to act normally, but there are much greater, uh, applications of this basic principle. And I, you know, I think the one that I think is the most Telling to the overall approach is we have a an apple that browns much more slowly than a normal apple. It's still very much a normal apple. It, it is almost no difference. But we've taken one pathway, which is kind of a very rapid browning that apples undergo. Apples brown much faster than browning of an apple isn't rotting. It's, it's a catalyzed process that happens very quickly. And by sort of rerouting this one process, making it slower, we can make an apple uh, much more pleasant to eat, especially a few hours after it's sliced. So synthetic biology is very much biology. It's just been modulated in some productive way, uh, as I think a good way to think of it. The potential applications for synthetic biology cut across mm-hmm. industries and carry the promise of replacing highly toxic and energy-intensive chemical processes 
with biological approaches. Where do you see the greatest benefits from this technology, and how broadly is it actually being deployed today? So I, I think to, to take a step back on your question, this is the difference between Intrexon and many other companies that will have some element of synthetic biology in their process. Intrexon seeks out applications for synthetic biology. What we think we know how to do is re-engineer the functioning of cells, and we look for applications wherever we can find them. So I would say the most valuable application we work on is the process of trying to make industrial precursors and fuels through bacterial fermentation. So bacteria can make all kinds of interesting things, and for instance, it's pretty easy to make gasoline out of sugar that's that's not a that's well understood how to do it the problem is you make gasoline at ten dollars a gallon at intrexon we've taken a step back we've harnessed a huge amount of natural biology from an unusual organism called the methanotrope and so we can start not with sugar which is very expensive but with natural gas and we have shown we can make a, a major component of gasoline we're not quite at commercial yields are, uh, yet, but we're pretty close. And for some un industrial starting materials, we are at commercial yields. So I would say that's the most valuable thing we work on from an absolute dollar point of view. Uh, from sort of a human interest point of view or an impact of the planet, and if you haven't read our material, uh, Intrexon is very focused on doing things that really matter. There's quite a hard, a hard focus on that at the company. But for instance, several major uh, pests can't really be controlled anymore with classic pesticides. Even if you were willing to accept the off-target tox, the pesticides just don't work anymore. And so we've engineered organisms that essentially <coughs> cause collapse of dangerous pests. And that's another synthetic biology. This is very much an organism. It just, when it mates, it doesn't, it doesn't produce viable offspring and essentially collapses the organization, or the, the, collapses the population of dangerous organisms. So there are two examples. I, I can dig in more as you like. Well, how, how would you describe Intrexon business overall? So this is, this is a good question, and we've spent a lot of time trying to demystify this business. We are fundamentally a gene expression company, taking cells and expressing genes at appropriate levels, sometimes at regulated levels, to, do, to get the cells to do what we want. So in some sense, the, the technical backdrop of uh, Intrexon is quite focused. It's gene expression. But then we'll look for applications really across any aspect where we think this can be impactful. So in some sense, we pair sophisticated molecular biology with sophisticated business people looking for applications. So uh, th that's kind of the model. And Trexon is a, a complex company at once targeting multiple markets, including health, energy, food, agriculture, environment, and, and consumer products. One of the challenges this technology faces, and one of the things I think that's held back its application in, in diverse markets is that human health products are such high value and have been well proven. A, a gene therapy can command a million dollar price tag for a vial, but a, a gallon of transportation fuel is worth four bucks. How do you prioritize what you do and, and balance the 
the risk and reward of different applications? Well, it's a constant process within the company. I would say uh, we haven't done <laughs> we haven't done a lot of backing off things we think are promising. I have to say the company has several areas that look promising, and as far as I can tell, they're working as hard as they can on all of them. So uh, I, I think that uh, we certainly we certainly have product projects not work, and there are pr- certainly things that early on we decide uh, don't make sense. But you know, the, the the total dollar value, I think, for the best case scenarios of most of our programs. So, for instance, a truly dominant approach to uh, controlled disease-causing mosquitoes versus a synthetic fuel versus an impactful therapeutic that couldn't be done without our technology. They're all enormous potential commercial returns. So I, I, I think that that's kind of the answer. We, 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 don't, we don't work on things that we don't think can be truly transformational. And so far we've had the the luxury, really, of being able to work on the ones we've chosen as hard as we can. Uh, a key part of the Trexon strategies has both been collaborations and, and acquisitions. I'd like to have you walk through both of those from a, a strategic point of view. What role do collaborations play in your business, and what do you seek in these deals? Can you, can you illustrate that with some examples? So, uh, sh- sure. Uh, so the partnering model, and again, to uh, take a little bit of a step back, we had an early phase partnering model in Intrexon, almost to the exclusion of everything else, called the ECC model, where we were essentially a technology center that would develop technologies for partners as needed. And I would say this model worked for a long time. It's it's the basis of our Xylfarm collaboration. It's the basis of our Orogenix collaboration, the Fibrocell collaboration. Those technologies are largely in Trexon technologies. We've moved away from it a little bit, essentially because as we matured, we kind of realized we didn't always need a partner to push things past a certain point in development. So the classic ECC model was the focus for a long time, and it's left us with some nice partnerships. But at some level, we've moved away from it. And that's exemplified by Presagen, which is our internal drug development, therapeutic development uh, company. It's a fully-owned sub. But they will take Intrexon technology, and the goal is to either develop it all the way to the market or potentially partner much later. So we, we... still do a lot of partnering. We still have a lot of partnerships, but the model at some level is changing, and I, I think that's not so surprising. Many technology companies, especially in the therapeutic space, have, after a certain point, realized that you really have to push your own things further down the line to really reward investors for, for you know, getting involved with your company. And then the, the other one was acquisitions. And this is, uh, this is a common, uh, piece of what Intrexon has done. So for instance, Oxitec was, was a British company that worked on self-limiting mosquitoes to try to control disease. And the original mosquito we have is largely an Oxitec invention. 
starting from that footprint rather than starting from scratch, we have continued to engineer the insect. And we just announced the second generation insect that at some level should kind of do the same thing, should control populations of disease-causing insects. But the ones we release, although not uh, still self-limiting. What we we always release it insects we know will eventually die out. They die out slower. You need to release fewer of them. So at some level, we hope it's a uh, more powerful technology. And we just started field trials of this second generation insect. So often when Intrexon identifies a place in synthetic biology where we could impact, we've looked for a footprint, which is to say a company that's kind of on path already that we think will jumpstart our effort. Intrexon's been around 20 years. It's, it's not profitable, but it has revenue from products and services. Where are you in terms of moving from, say, products where you're, you're selling to companies that are using your technology to actual end products where, where the, the customer is using your product as a product uh, so we are, uh, the answer is, as it always is with Intrex, and we are all over the place on that front. <laughs> I would say the closest to truly a, a commercially meaningful product are our non-browning apples. Uh, we have sold a sort of a very limited number from early trees, kind of pilot plants, pilot leveled of, 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 uh, growth. We have 800,000 trees in the ground right now. And in three years, those should produce very significant number of numbers of apples. And I think we've estimated something like several hundred million dollars by about 2025. And that's probably enough to, to where we would be a, an earnings positive company, although it depends on what we spend on other programs. But we have things in the ground that should lead to very significant commercial products. Uh, on the energy front, we're waiting for a partner to start to build the huge plants that will essentially industrialize these processes that we've shown will work at very large scales, 500-liter scales, but not at the 40,000-ton scales that are appropriate for products of these types. So we are close in some places. We're further in others. It, it's, it's a little bit of a, a, a mix right now. But uh, the, I would say the apples are the closest, and as well as the mosquitoes, we're, we're actively signing contracts with self-limiting mosquitoes in areas where the problems are particularly acute. One, one of the challenges of this technology has been scaling up. What can be done in a small pilot manufacturing plant often doesn't translate to a large-scale commercial manufacturing. In industrial applications, quantities are often dwarf what's needed in, say, things like therapeutics. Why has this been such a challenge? Uh, so it, it, it's an excellent point, and I would say Bob Walsh, who runs our uh, energy division, is maniacal on this point. So he, the first thing he did is to build a 500-liter plant that is essentially a copy of what a 40,000-ton plant would look like. It's stirred the same way. The motors are the same. Essentially, to optimize things under real conditions, and his argument is that if I make a mistake at 500 liters, I can fix it in a week. If I make a mistake at 20 times that, it could be a year to get the part. 
So he has been very focused on exactly the problem you mentioned, is to show this is an industrial process. So our, our fermentation approaches to producing energy, the first thing he wanted to do is show they'd run a 1,000 hours, not overnight on a bench top, but 500 liters for a 1,000 hours. And we've done that with two products. So, again, I think this is the one of the nice pieces about Intrexon is that it's not only sophisticated laboratory science, but they right away push in the real-world problems to try to convince partners as well as investors that what we've done is useful on a commercial scale, not just kind of elegant and a laboratory scale. So I, I think your point is correct. It's been a real problem in the in the bioproduction of energy. Many things have worked on the bench top and then not translated. I would say what Intrexon spearheaded by Bob Walsh did is made absolutely sure that that was the first question we answered is, is it real at a commercial scale? I think when synthetic biology came into the popular mind, there was a notion of a type of plug-and-play solution where you could take components off the shelf and assemble them to produce virtually anything you desired. Like a lot of things in life, this reality proved a, a bit more challenging than the vision, but how good is the state of the art of engineering cells to produce a desired end product today? So you are exactly right. It's, it's, it's extremely hard work to do everything. So, for instance, the methanotroph energy production program was a hundred people for something like five years to really figure out the molecular biology to get this stuff to where it is today. That being said, Intrexon, because it has 20 years of gene expression and a kind of an IT overlay to collect data intelligently, we think we make progress faster than anyone else because we can essentially look back at previous data. There are also significant synergies across the divisions. So it may sound odd, but somebody uh, trying to make synthetic insulin in a bacteria for a type 1 diabetic patient versus somebody trying to make gasoline in a different bacteria, their day-to-day -day work isn't that different. They still talk to one another. They still can use some of the same components. So although it's hard. Everything is difficult in innovative, in the innovative development of technologies. We think we get a little bit of a head start because we've been doing it a long time. We've been paying attention to what worked and what didn't. And there's a lot of synergy between the different efforts. John Cumbers, the founder of SynBioBeta, wrote a book last year, What's Your Bio Strategy? He suggests companies in all industries need a biotech strategy today that Biotechnology processes will become ubiquitous throughout industries, and, and companies need to start thinking about how to integrate this into their businesses. I, I imagine that's a, an Intrexon-friendly point of view, but what's the case to make for that? What's the case to, to argue that industrial companies of, of all markets need to really think about how to incorporate biotechnology into their processes? Whether all companies need a biotechnology approach isn't entirely clear, but I think in many cases it's probably going to be very powerful because cells can do an awful lot of things. So, for instance, five days ago we had a press release. Uh, the, the production of opiates is very expensive. One of the reasons is because some of it has to be hardcore chemical synthesis. And we just identified a key enzyme that now allows us to make full opiates in yeast. 
this will greatly reduce the cost of goods sold of a class of medicines that are very powerful but uh, hard to make. And, and so it's an example of where bioproduction will really change things from a purely economic point of view. On a more societal point of view, by kind of removing the poppy from the picture, we think we can maybe help control the flow of opiates. That's a sort of a side effect. The major driver for this program is to make opiates commercially less expensively, which may lead to less expensive end-user products. Tom Schrader, Vice President of Communication and Strategy for Trexon. Tom, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. It was fun to talk. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.